Good evening and welcome back to Editing Aloud. Uh, just six weeks to go until the ANC's elective conference in December and we are in full campaign mode. And uh, panel, I was quite puzzled by Cyril's slate, Cyril Ramaphosa's decision to choose himself a slate. Tim, what do you make of it? Does it enhance his chances of getting elected or is it, does it in fact detract from them? Because it seems to cause some controversy. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he, he, the, the, the biggest aspect of the controversy was that uh, Gwedi Mantash, who was on the Secretary General of the ANC, who was actually on the slate, <laughs> had to distance himself from the idea of a, you know, of a slate. I mean, the, um, I think you have to separate the idea of publicizing the slate from whether or not this particular slate was you know, useful to Ramaphosa or not. Uh, the, uh, I actually feel, I actually think it's a good idea to have a slate. Why not? You know, it's part of the, uh, you know, the, 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 the ANC had this booklet called The Eye of the Needle and, you know, it had all of the campaigning rules and one of the campaigning rules in The Eye of the Needle is that you, you, you shouldn't have a slate, that, that the ANC is dead against the idea of slates. Um, the, uh, the opposite argument is that it's just realistic and people want to know, it enhances it, uh, transparency and uh, um, so then, uh, you know, on the question of whether or not this particular slate was a good one, well, you can argue that around and around, you know, the bend. I mean, uh, uh, Naledi Pandor is his uh, his uh, vice. I think he balances the, the the provinces very nicely with different people, with, you know, uh, uh, from uh, uh, different regions of the country. Um, uh, I mean, the Pandor was I I interesting because it wasn't. Uh, Sisulu, you know the uh, uh, um, so uh, so obviously that you know that rift is now you know sort of embedded in the kind of slate thing. But it doesn't mean to, just because he has a kind of proposed slate doesn't mean to say that that's exactly you know the, the how it's going to pan out. So Konati, do you think this uh, enhances his chances of getting elected, given the selection of people? The the problem with answering that question is you're probably asking from a normal human being's perspective and this is the ANC that will be voting. Uh, now, if, if there were normal uh, people that vote there, they uh, wouldn't have a man called Jacob Zuma for president. Let's start there. Uh, absolutely, if he was going for, for, for the general election where you and I will get to vote, it, it's, a great, it, it's a great way of doing it and it's indeed he chose absolutely the, the, the best possible people he could find under the circumstances. And in the financial mail we did a, a comparison. We looked at the other slate, the unofficial slate that had been in circulation much longer since January already uh, by uh, by Nkosasana Lamini Zuma and, and, and no one slapped her as they did slap Cyril Ramaphosa to say hey why are you giving us a slate. Uh, hers is a slate of the Gupta people. I'm sure they not only know how to consume curry but they also probably cook it too. And she's got a work, uh, Ramaphosa here has got a slate of uh, the great people that you can find in the ANC and, and, and of course He's dragging the ANC through that eye of the needle by the scruff of the neck to say, let's come into the 21st century. Rob? I personally would have, would have gone for William Kieser on, on the slate. I think that is a notable That's definitely, um, I think, what was, was necessary. And I think the other perception was that David Mabuza, who's now official, well, on Kamini Zuma's slate, is, 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 a, is a loss in a way because he would have brought voters from Mpumalanga. And that's an area where Cyril's not particularly strong. So I suppose Sikonati's point is correct in that you still have to get the votes at the conference. And in that sense, um, ultimately, Mpumalanga is a big is a big loss for 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 uh, Brahmapoza in this particular slate. 
and, and in his defense, in Ramaphosa's, I, I, I thought so too, if I was compiling a slate, I would have probably included uh, David Mabuza there. But he's known to be less than honest in many ways. And, and, and he's, while he's not in the Gupta uh, compound, but he, he, he moves along with that crowd quite very well. And you know all the allegations and the scandal in Bumalanga uh, that involved him. And Ramaphosa seems to have gone for, for people with a clean image, with no baggage of uh, corruption and accusations uh, following them. But, but I still think that Naledi Pandor is a, is a potential weak choice for Ramaphosa as deputy. She has no political constituency, and she, she, um, she you know, it's, it seems like a, a weak choice if you want to get votes it at the conference. Well, it does seem an odd choice, and the only explanation I've heard, in fact, is that he needed a woman. That is, in fact, the only explanation no, no, I've really no, heard. No, 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 just be careful on this, because, mm. you know, she was the second most popular woman on the, uh, in the previous NEC she election. Was so the second the most popular person. Yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in that's the, right. In yeah, the yeah, yeah. I, I sort of wonder. You know, it would be nice for him to have, uh, you know, Zwilly McKee, for example, on the on the, the. But I wonder whether, in this kind of slate process, we're just getting our first insight into what it, you know, what it really looks like. Mm. If you were, uh, if you are on a slate, then you you uh, you you uh, close down your own personal. Slate, you know the yeah, um, so so you know I don't know whether he, whether Zwilly McKee could be on the slate and also be running an independent campaign. Not, not you know, as soon as he appears on another slate, then 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 his his chances his hopes. Then of he's he's admitting his, his, you say he's that he's given that up he's campaigning in his own right. This is how it works. Uh, so you uh, people can nominate you a certain number of people, mm -hmm. but people can still be nominated from the floor at the Congress. Uh, so the, the, the first person will raise a point and said, uh, I want Tim Cohen. Right. And, and the chairperson will look if you want to stand. But that's very and, unlikely. Uh, <laughs> so, so please don't even I'm go there. there. <laughs> uh, but they, they have to get a certain, at least uh, about 10% of, of the delegates raising their hands say, uh, we second it, comrade. And, and then you can uh, decide. You can even switch positions whether you had been put on whatever slate. Uh, if people nominate you from the floor, you can take your chances and go for it. Rob Rose, Cyril Ramaphosa features in something else that you've been writing about this week. This week's financial mail cover story is about the Paradise Papers. And uh, Cyril Ramaphosa features there too. Uh, yeah. I mean, the what is the story? The, well, the Paradise Papers are this, this immense leak. It's sort of Panama Papers 2.0. Um, 13.4 million records, including corporate registries from 19 of these secrecy jurisdictions. These, these tax are tax havens, which are, which have emerged, and it contains names. Uh, you know, if you've spread the stories, the Queen had exposed how the Queen of England was effectively investing in micro lending companies, payday lenders. Um, exposed how Trump's um, commerce secretary had links to the Kremlin. Um, so it's really fascinating what has come out in these things. Certainly, in our case, locally, we had. The fact that Chanduka set up um, set up companies in Mauritius, which is a very well-renowned tax haven, um, and so there are issues around should your politicians and people who are, um, I suppose, in the, in the limelight be setting up companies in tax havens itself, even if it doesn't necessarily imply criminality in what actually happened in this in this tax haven. I know that people around this table have very different views on what should be allowed to be deducted. You know, the difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion. Yes, t um, is tax. There is legal tax structuring, as I understand it, and there is illegal tax structuring. Um, or is there no difference, Tim Cohen? But there's unethical tax structuring as well. That's the point. Even though it's legal? Yes. Is but then how, then how do you judge 
one person's ethics may be another person's legality. Well, that's the point. I mean, that's, yes. that, that's that, old, that old cliche that the distance, you know, the difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion is essentially just the width of a prison wall. It, it effectively is about a judgment call that you make at a specific time. So transfer pricing, in which you you have an arm, say in Mauritius, that, that has these mega market that holds all the brands for a company and then charges extortionate amounts back to the operating company. So all the profit gets sucked out to, say, Mauritius, where they only get charged at 1%, rather than get taxed on profits here, you know, at 25%, that's, that's, or 28%, that's, that's a big difference. So there's, there's moral issues around robbing your own country of tax that could go to support your courts, to support your hospitals, to support your society. Equally, your shareholders your could presidents, say. Let's not go there. <laughs> could your shareholders not equally say uh, you should be structuring things in the best way possible? Mm. You, you do that in order to maximize their return uh, mm. when you go uh, offshore and, and do this. Now, let, let's be clear again here. We are talking about avoidance, uh, which is illegal. Uh, sorry, uh, avoidance, which is avoidance is legal. Evasion is the illegal part. Now, on avoidance. Every business person and every human being has got a legal responsibility to pay as little tax as possible to maximize your returns and avoid people like Jacob Zuma abusing and that guy over there, Madhusi Kikaba, abusing your tax money and having it stolen in South African Airways and ESCOM. You have a legal and moral responsibility to pay legally as little tax as possible. Mm. If, if you have to take your money uh, offshore, like uh, in, in, the, in these havens, uh, and pay as little tax as possible, you are actually starving those guys of, of funds to be, to, to be stolen uh, from our uh, public enterprises. Uh, yeah, well, actually, it's a horrifying thought. He's <laughs> not about to set up a structure in Mauritius. No, no, I mean, you, you have a, um, I think you have a moral duty um, to um, uh, to pay the tax in the country in which the income is earned, according to the rules of that country, mm -hmm. so long as they are not, you know, uh, ridiculous and extortionate. Which uh, um, I think that's that's the you know the morally correct position is to uh, uh, is to uh, do the do your duty to the citizens of the country. I mean, it might not necessarily be the, the, your, your uh, responsibility to your shareholders, but if you're going to raise, it can't be your moral responsibility to pay as little tax as possible. But just kind of, I mean, I, I do think I'm there are some... to respond, though. <laughs> yeah. No, okay, Sikonati, so let's give him a chance for <laughs> Just taxes. That's what you are talking about. Just taxation. Yes. Now, look at the extortionate amount of the tax we pay in this country, uh, both personal uh, income tax and corporate tax, 28% corporate tax. Look at what you have to spend to, to buy the security your taxes should have already been paying for, to buy medical uh, uh, attention and insurance for the people you should have already yeah. been paying for. And then take it a step further. Go to Zambia, 35% corporate tax rate, and you are gain do all of these things. And what happens to your money? They arrest you for crossing the road that has just been paid with your own tax money. And sh shall we come to South Africa? Now, I repeat, if, 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 if the government in this country uh, is so dumb and will abuse our tax money so much, we have every responsibility and moral responsibility to pay as little tax as possible within the confines of the law. Actually, what's interesting is that the couple of the companies we spoke to, we spoke to Spa, we spoke to Aspen, some of the issues they raised were exactly that. Why set up a, 
uh, company in this country. For example, Spa, what Spa did is they set up the holding structure for Spa Switzerland in, I think it's the Isle of Man. Uh, and their argument was this country, th the governance is, is in a very precarious place, so it introduces wild amounts of currency risk. So we can't be in a situation where there's tons of currency risk that will expose our investments to currency risk and wipe out a company with international operations. So that was an interesting argument a lot of them made, which I suppose does, does go to your point about the governance of the country being fundamental in what you decide yeah. to do with your taxes. Yeah. There's another argument too, which is, uh, uh, is partly in favor of Sikha's point of view. The, um, you know, it depends on where you think... Having completely disagreed. Yeah, having completely... You still have the chance. <laughs> but the, um, it depends a little bit on where you want, where you think the money will be most effectively spent? Will the money be most effectively spent by shareholders or will it be most effectively spent by governments? Um, and if governments governments need to constantly convince people that they are spending, uh, you know, um, sensibly and, you know, w w uh, in in ways that will uh, bolster the economy over the longer term, if they can't do that, well, then you're in a different ballgame. You know, you really are. When we come back after the break, we are going to be talking about Malusi Gigaba's new tax inquiry that he's asked the president to set up um, and whether that would uh, capacitate SARS, as they say these days, to deal with issues such as the Panama Papers. We'll see you after the break. Welcome back. Um, we are looking at why it is that Malusi Kigaba has asked the president to set up a commission of inquiry into tax revenue and specifically tax administration, which means, in other words, the South African Revenue Services. And Rob, do you believe that the president is really going to set up the kind of inquiry that's going to get to the bottom of anything? Anything, really. I, I think in I think any reasonable stretch of time. <laughs> I, I believe in that in the same way that I believed his arms deal inquiry was going to go anywhere. Mm. Um, in other words, precariously and probably not at all. I mean, this, this inquiry is ostensibly to look into why there was such a huge 50 billion revenue shortfall, why it failed to collect. Um, but there are certain lines of inquiry that should be followed in that, in terms of the capacity of SARS, what happened to the previous people who could do the job, that sort of thing. So do they have the political gumption to go into those things, which has political overtones for Jacob Zuma in terms of his relationship with Tom Moyani? That is what I doubt. I think it's going to be the kind of inquiry that will have very strict parameters that will aim to provide the kind of vindication that Jacob Zuma wants against the people criticizing his choices at SARS. That's my impression of how, how it's going to play out. It does seem to me that, 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 that this does reflect that, that, that the finance minister is genuinely worried about what's going on at SARS and how much of the revenue undershoot came from the issues at SARS um, as opposed to the woes of the economy itself. Sikonati, do you think this represents a, sh a new recognition by Malusi Kigabe himself that, that he has a problem? Malusi Kigabe worry about the tax Jacob Zuma worry about getting the real story why our <laughs> tax uh, is. Look, uh, Hillary, I have said this on this show before and I'll say it again. Turkeys never vote for Christmas. They never will. So that's just another attempt to sweep many matters under the carpet and, and kick the can down the road. Marusi Kikawa may, may, may very well want to do a tax inquiry, but guess what? It's so easy. 
put proper people in there, the evidence is right before your eyes. They, 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 they have hollowed up the, the, out the institution over the past four years, and uh, th there's no rocket science about it. You just need to, to put the correct people in there and allow them to do their job. And Jacob Zuma and, uh, and all the, 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 these people have been doing the exact opposite of that. Uh, th they're just trying to find ways to exonerate themselves, as Rob says. Yeah. Tim, how much play is there in a commission? This could would be a judicial of commission of inquiry, I presume. So, how much scope is there to not find what is glaringly obvious? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, I say it's it's intriguing that they've that they've chosen that mechanism because, as uh, Siko says, y you know, the uh, if they were worried essentially only about um, about tax collection, um, then um, then surely you know the solution is not. You know, to have another extended, long, you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, dig into the kind of process. Um, I think they they uh, uh, they are kind of worried about it, um, and th th this is a uh, this is the sort of you know the the wh where you where a committee sits down and tries to design a horse and it ends up with a camel. You know, the uh, um, because I just don't think that a that a, a commission of inquiry is. Um, is if you're looking about the effectivity of an organisation, whether traditionally commission inquiry is the right way to go. Unless you, unless you, either are coming, uh, unless you do suspect there is genuine wrongdoing at the revenue authority. But Surely. I don't think yeah. that's the case. I don't think that's what they suspect in this case. I think it's their way of saying, look, we're doing doing something about the public perception of SARS um, in a very strict way that we can control, so that it doesn't get out of our control. The, their attitude to transparency is 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 awful at SARS. We we asked them for why for reasons why the deputy Jonas Makwakwa came back despite the fact that there was video footage of him, you know, and and his girlfriend stuffing wads of notes into an ATM late at night. And they said, oh no, disciplinary was held and don't worry about it, he's back at work. So we said, well, tell us what happened in the disciplinary. And they refused. So we sent them from the Financial Mail access to information request and they said, their only reply to us was, well, that's now a legal process and that can take a long time. Which tells you about their attitude towards transparency and really getting into, really making public understand what they do. That's why that exact example is, is why I have so little faith in this mechanism that Manusi Kagabe is setting up. He had another outing this week when he introduced the new Board of South African Airways to the staff of South African Airways and also announced again that South Africa's Airways is going to bring in a strategic equity partner. Now, Sikonati, who would buy into South African Airways? And is this the right way to go? Is it Oak Bay Aviation, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's a billion dollar question. Who would want to buy at South African Airways? Le from the outside, let's just tell you that you would have to pay me to own shares in South African Airways, and, and then I would uh, proceed about that. But there are international alliances uh, that, uh, for, for example, uh, Air France, KLM, there are alliances like those that that, that can still work, and and uh, I would assume that he's looking at that. He should be bringing in a company that that shall bring benefits to South African Airways. Let's take an example. Four years ago, South African Airways stopped flying uh, between Cape Town and London, and and you now have to fly uh, Johannesburg uh, via Johannesburg. That market grew 27 percent because all the international 
after SAA left uh, because all the international airlines now didn't have this unfair competition to deal with. You need to make an alliance with, with companies like those and say, listen, we will get out of these routes that we are stifling and, and you come in and, and, and we will feed in from, from, from the Africa region and from the Southern Africa region. I do not know who it is that, that, that would want to buy. And of course, all the airline companies globally are sort of struggling. Tim Kern, are you convinced that uh, SAA can indeed be fixed under its you new know, leadership? I, I think, I think you, know, it's, it's, you know, the triumph of hope over uh, you know, uh, common sense. You know, I'm sure there's always people out there who are kind of hopeful. And uh, you know, there's a, the, the, an enormous number of airlines around the world get set up and, and uh, collapse very quickly. Uh, so you know, uh, um, people do think. I, th I think you will find buyers. You know, if you went out there, and, uh, um, especially for a, such a distressed asset. You know, the uh, say so in the right circumstances, uh, buying a distressed asset is you know taking. You know, it's like taking a leveraged bet. You know, the uh, you um, your upside is really could be enormous. You know, so uh, you but. But the problem is that the you know the people who who are willing to invest are the biggest gamblers on the planet. You know, so by definition, you know the um, uh, so, so I mean we I think sell SA to the Bitcoin community then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, or, or uh, um, you know to people who sell fake currencies or something. You know what I mean? I mean the the uh, but I mean I th I think they've got it's it's not inconceivable that um, you know that uh, uh, in the right circumstances SA could be a uh, could be a valuable asset. So. Um, so I think best of luck to them. I, and and I what chance that, that, that uh, the finance minister and government leave the new board and the new management team to do whatever it is that they need to do? I, I mean, because that's what's bedeviled every mm. state-owned enterprise turnaround. I think that's the real question because I'm pretty sure that more consultants have gone through SAA than go through the doors of Accenture on an average day. There have mm. been plans for the last 15 years and the issue has been, and really good ideas from certain boards. Russell Lopes and Cheryl Corollis' board had some really good ideas. But the issue with SA has always been that government gets in the way of the good ideas and stops them being implemented. So the real question is, if, if the new board, which seems to have very good people on it, if they're able to do what they need to do, will government let them do what they need to do? That's been the issue with most of ISOEs, actually. And, and, and what, what I, I make that point, exactly that point in, in the financial mail uh, this week. I must say, yeah, last week I was traveling uh, throughout uh, in the, the five major cities and I flew SAA three times and three out of three SAA was delayed by an, by an hour at least at most. And that is only because of the people behind SAA, the key people like that man over there called Malusi Kigaba and, and the top management. You need to get out of there. And uh, who will buy? It depends on the price and the amount of shares you make available. If, if you still retain all the control and the negative influence that uh, the government has been, we will still lose a whole lot more money even with a private investor in there. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, the big task of the new board is going to be to, to, uh, to make sure that the private equity uh, partner is, um, is really, if not in um, control, at least it is a very serious chunk of, uh, of the airline. And the gov government are not going to like that. But, uh, but I presume that this is a great moment for the, for the new board to say, uh, you know, that, that uh, at least 49% of the company must be in private hands. Speaking of parastatals and ailing companies, Sikonati, your favorite company, Eskom, has been in parliament. Um, have we 
discovered anything in the course of the parliamentary inquiry so far that we didn't already know about mm. Eskom's travails? No, 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 not at all. We, we, we have heard now the people that I certainly have been talking uh, to off the record for, 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 for many years. The things they have told me, they are now saying them under oath. Uh, publicly in Parliament, it, it went. It started all the way back with uh, with uh, with Brian Thomas, and you've had uh, them, uh, and you've had uh, Susan Daniels today uh, uh, speaking uh, in Parliament. You've had Tsulufelo Mulefe, and before that, you've had Siti uh, Somatuna. All of these people are repeating what is generally in the public domain, and they are putting it uh, out there. And I must add that uh, the again, our honourable Finance Minister Malusi Kigaba is not smelling of roses out of that inquiry, as does Lynn Brown, and indeed the, 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 the whole government. They are repeating everything we have heard about in the past four to five years. So none of it is new, it's just that um, people are going on the record and the making it public in quite great detail. Absolutely. And, and does that have any effect? I mean, Rob, what, <coughs> what, what if anything comes of such a process? Um, well, I think it'll, it'll shine a light on governance, which means it'll be a lot harder for anyone like the previous um, Malusi Gagaba, not the current one, obviously, to do what he did in terms of install installing very weak boards like he did in t 2011, 2012. So I think it'll make it a lot harder for them to do that. Parliament realises that they took their eye off the ball, and I think they should keep a great, great, greater scrutiny over state-owned enterprises. Um, and then this might lead to other micro-interventions, such as with the tender system and SOEs and that sort of thing. So hopefully those kind of measures will be implemented. Um, you know, greater transparency means greater sunshine on these processes, and hopefully that's a, that's a good thing. And we hope so as well with the social security issue, which is still in Parliament and is still terrifying, actually, Tim Cohen. I mean, um, it doesn't sound like SASA is meeting any of the deadlines. Yeah, you know, they, <laughs> they keep on claiming that they are. This is the confusing thing about them, is that they, they keep on saying that they are discussing it, uh, uh, that they're close to kind of finalization and that they will make the deadlines. And, uh, um, and w w you know, we're quite cynical about that. But, you know, it's, uh, it's only a month, what's it, a month away now um, before the, the new deal has to be struck. Um, so that seems like a frighteningly short amount of time. It's three months away. And exactly 94 uh, days away. Oh, right, okay. And can our old colleague Mark Barnes, now Chief Executive of the Post Office, he says the Post Office can do it. Can the Post Office do it? Post Office can definitely do it, but it does have limitations, and we have thrashed this out uh, previously. The post office is only in certain centers and not everywhere as uh, the, the current contract goes. So there will still be a lag where uh, someone has to actually physically deliver the cash. For example, to my village, 100 kilometers away from the nearest post office. And, and that is the biggest uh, expense. If you're going to ask the beneficiaries of, of, of the grant to, from the 380 rand per child that you're gonna get to travel 100 kilometers to town, that's going to cost you at least 100 rands, and that means you're getting paid only 280 rands, not 300. So post office can do it, but it's got serious limitations in the sense that it will not deliver cash to every person. Every person will have to go to the post office to get it, and that can be very costly. I suppose the, the important point, Rob, finally, just in the last minute, is that Parliament has found its voice and its role as as oversight body. Yeah, that's a good thing with this case and with Eskom. In fact, Parliament seems to have awakened itself to what's been happening in the country, which is good. I mean, in this case, it does also shine the light on Batibilet Lamini. Um, and the real concern, to circle back to the beginning point, was that 
Ramaphosa has picked people who he thinks can do a specific job. If people like Batabilet Lamini remain and courses under Lamini Zuma's team, um, then the country, this exact kind of botch-ups are what we'll expect for the next five, ten years. But, but, but Hillary, I, don't, I, I, I know you have to close, but we, we can't be too hopeful on the ESCOM matter. It will not be like the SAPC because Parliament there has the authority and the power to, to, to select the board. In this one, uh, the minister has got all the absolute power to, to, to choose a board she likes for ESCOM. So it's not going to work exactly like the SAPC did. That's all we have time for. More next week. Thank you for joining us. Please join us again next week for another edition of Editing Aloud.